Welcome to the Learning Unlocked podcast, presented by Open Sesame. Taking a deep dive into the global world of learning and development with practical tips and tricks, along with insights from leading brands and the people that make them work. This is Learning Unlocked. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. My guest is Arnie Duggan, former U.S. Secretary of Education under President Obama. He's now the managing partner with the Emerson Collective. You can learn more about them at emersoncollective.com. He's author of the book, How Schools Work, an inside account of failure and success from one of the nation's longest serving secretaries of education. Arnie, thanks for joining me on the Learning Unlock podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start with letting our audience know, how did you first get interested in learning and education? As I understand it, your mom, Sue, was very involved with learning and education. Well, I, I think I didn't have a choice. People have different family businesses and for better or worse, our family business was education. So yeah, my mother ran an uh, inner city after school tutoring program. I started a couple of years before I was born. He literally raised my, my brother, sister, and I as a, a part of her program. So that was a hugely formative experience that we can get into if you want to. And we all tried to follow her footsteps in various ways. And my dad was a professor at the University of Chicago. And so we grew up uh, here on the campus. I, I live two blocks now from where we grew up. So uh, I joked it wasn't funny at the time, but uh, we were kids. Uh, we did not have a TV. We, were, we did not have a TV in the house. So we had a household full of books. And I used to have to sneak to my parents' house to watch TV here for once in a while. But uh, my sister, brother, and I get all okay, well, going to education in various ways. Tell us about your work with the Emerson Collective right now. Yeah, so Emerson's been an amazing partner, and I run a nonprofit now called Chicago CRED, C-R-E-D, stands for Creating Real Economic Destiny. And we're uh, laser-focused on reducing gun violence here in our hometown of Chicago. So we've been at it for five years now. It's uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever done, sometimes honestly the most heartbreaking and also the most inspiring work I've ever done in my life. So really just trying to work with young men and women on the south and west sides who are caught in cycles of violence and getting them a reason to put down their guns and do something banner. Um, education is a piece of what we do. We do a lot of other things. We actually had an amazing uh, drive through high school graduation ceremony just two weeks ago. And we had young people graduate. We had a staff member graduate who's in their 60s and everybody in between just to see that, that pride and joy of accomplishing something that seems, you know, unattainable for so long was a really uh, moving and powerful day for all of us. As someone who's overseen education under President Obama and who could have anticipated this pandemic, right? It seems like there's an opportunity to reset some things and shift how we learn. If you were able to shift how we learn, like how should we be learning going forward, taking what we've had happened to us in the last year where a lot of people are working and learning virtually. How do we take that moving forward? Well, it's a, a great question. I'll try and give us a single answer to two or three different uh, ideas possibly. The first thing, uh, Brian, as you know, is I think it's so important for, for kids to be in bricks and mortar schools and justly hoping those schools can stay open this fall and the fact that kids, not just their, their education, but just their social emotional growth. We're all by nature as human beings where we want to be around other people and to, to have that stripped from, you know, basically every child in America for so long, really, really uh, broke my heart. So hopefully we can stay open, open physically. Having said that, there are some things that we should continue to learn maybe virtually. I'll just give you one example. 
it's maybe an easy example than others, but algebra, we have, um, you know, we would have a, a, a couple of algebra teachers in our country who are the Albert Einsteins, the Valdatich, who are just the best of the best of the best. And the idea that they, they are limited to teaching, call it whatever, 100, 125 kids a day, we should think about why can't they teach 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 analogy and really learn from the master teachers and then use that classroom time for like small group instruction or individual help or tutoring, whatever it might be. So there's some things that we should think about of really you know, deploying the best talent to, to, meet, to, to meet the most students. And uh, we have some things we've learned by, you know, by, by Zoom and other, and other mechanisms, um, I think could be applicable going forward. The other big thing I'm really thinking about a lot is obviously for me, going back to quote unquote normal isn't good enough because normal wasn't good enough for tens and millions of kids. But one thing that I think we have to really think about is moving from a system based upon seat time to a system based upon competency. And I'll stick with the algebra example. That historically you pass algebra by sitting out of a class, you know, five days a week for nine months, an hour a day or whatever. And I think you should pass algebra when you know algebra. And that should be after three months or four months or nine months or 15 months. And there's no wider or wrong answer there. But when you're ready to go, you should be able to bond. What's been constant, Brian, in education has been time and the variable has been learning. And I want to flip that on its head. I want the constant to be learning and the variable to be time. That's a great idea. And, and I totally agree with it. Um, looking at the curriculum that's taught, and, and we don't need to drill down on specifics, but I look at it. I have a daughter in high school right now, and she's learning a lot of the same things that I learned when I was in school long ago. And the world has changed pretty drastically since when I was in school. Shouldn't we look at the curriculum and update it at some point? We have to. And that's something that's determined locally. That's something I, I was actually um, barred by law from touching as part of education. So I shouldn't very lightly there. But to, to answer your, your question directly, uh, I, you, I spent a lot of time memorizing facts and figures and dates and geographies. And that was before we had something called Google. And we could, we could look some stuff up. And I think you know, the world is changing so fast that I actually think we honestly don't quite know what the jobs of the future are going to be. So for you and I to sit here today and say, this is what we're training kids for, I'm not sure we know that precisely or, or honestly that anyone knows that precisely. What I think we can do is train people to a set of skill sets that would be applicable whatever those jobs are. And I would say that the nature of work is solving problems. <laughs> Last time I checked, we have no shortage of problems. Always, so we get more problems every day. We really just have to equip people to be able to solve those problems. So what does that mean? That means being able to, to think critically. Uh, it means being able to express yourself verbally and on paper. It means uh, becoming a lifelong learner. The day any of us stops learning is the day we become obsolete. It's being able to work in diverse teams. And teams might be local. They might be you know, national. They might be international. Um, in a real you know, mindset towards you know, solving difficult problems. So those things, thinking critically. Being able to express yourself verbally and on paper, always learning, working on teams, you know, and an interest in solving tough problems. If, if we can train all of our young people, your kids, my kids, everyone's kids to have those skill sets, I think whatever those jobs are down the road, they're going to be just fine. But absent those skill sets, I think they're going to be locked out of the economy and that gets very, uh, very scary. 
More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to be a top priority for businesses everywhere. Open Sesame has created a survey that will give you insight into where your organization stands on diversity. Aside from being educational, this survey is a powerful tool to help you understand areas of improvement and spark conversations about strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable workplace. After you take the short survey, you'll get access to Open Sesame's DEI Toolkit, an online hub where you can find additional resources. Visit opensesame.com today to start your survey. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. What are some other critical issues that you see right now with education in the United States, things that we should be focusing on? Well, obviously, I'm just desperately worried about keeping schools, you know, right now today, desperately worried about keeping schools open. And I, I, it's so important for kids to be in school physically, again, not just talking about, not just academically, but socially, emotionally, just being around their friends, where we have to be safe. We have to keep kids safe. We have to keep teachers safe, families members safe, bus drivers safe, lunch attendants safe. And I just hope as you see this spike in new new COVID cases, it really scares me about where we may be going. So that's that's sort of you know, very much top of mind right now. Secondly, I think that the pandemic, you know, reveals so much this importance. And I think obviously the epidemic part of this is, is huge, but really taking care of kids' social and emotional needs and young people pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, you know, many were dealing with, with trauma and, you know, that's just, you know, compounded during this time and food insecurity and families losing jobs. And so for me, it's never, you know, high academic standards for social, emotional well-being. I mean, that's really the, the foundation. You have to take care of kids' physical and social and emotional needs first. And if that foundation is strong, I mean, we should have the highest of expectations and aspirations academically. But that foundation of that house is weak. It makes some other things hard. So really being attuned to where young people are, what's going on in their lives, and, and making sure that they're doing okay. Um, third, we, you know, this has been a tough time, obviously not just for controlling for families, but for teachers. And we have an aging workforce that's moving towards retirement. I always say that you know, teachers are nation builders. These are folks that we're entrusting our most precious asset, our most precious resource. What's more important to us than our kids? We're trusting teachers to to raise them and help them learn and help them grow and help them become good citizens and how we recruit teachers, how we train teachers, how we compensate teachers, how we build sort of career ladders for them to, to continue to grow. All that we have to become much more sophisticated at. Um, and, and then finally, so many things you go on. I'm always a huge proponent of early childhood education. We have to get our babies off to a good start. And I would like to make that as universal as possible. And then again, with the pandemic, just the, the ports of technology. And, you know, children should be able to learn anything they want, anytime, anywhere, 24-7. Their learning cannot be constrained to a bricks and mortar building, you know, five days a week, you know, nine, nine months a year. And so making sure that children have access to the internet, to Wi-Fi, to devices, uh, inner city, Chicago, rural communities, Native American reservations. I would every kid be able to find their genius, find their passion. And that might be possible right in front of them in their bricks and mortar school, or it might not be. So there, there, that's a lot of, that's a, that's a long list I gave you, but it's, you know, many areas where we need to try and getting, try to be, to get better, faster in all of them, um, as quickly as we can. Yeah. The one part I really want to go back to is just the, the importance of being social and the well-being of students, um, 
how can parents, how can people help their kids in those areas? Yeah, and I think, well, I'll speak very personally that, you know, coming out of it, but that was a really, really tough, tough year. <laughs> you know, so hard coming on from tough 18 months and, you know, again, I'll speak for myself. I, I definitely went through some dark times and really struggled at times. I thought I never worked harder and never felt more inadequate than more to do. So one is just sort of being very, I think, honest about our own, you know, struggles, our own humanity and not feeling we as parents have to have all the answers that, you know, this, that, this was an unprecedented time, but we won't happen to get for another hundred years or more. But this, this is a time that they rocked us. And, you know, I lost friends and, you know, our family got sick and it, you know, it was, it was just, it was difficult. There's no, no way to sugarcoat about it. So one, give ourselves a little grace, I guess, as we're trying to say that we're all, you know, have to keep, you know, be, be real honest and continue to, to grow and, and get, get healthy. Um, two, just really listening, being attuned to your, to our kids. I think it was, we put them in such an unnatural situation for so long, um, that again, no kids had to go through for a century. And that, that affects that some ways that are, you know, sometimes difficult for kids to even talk about, but just listening to where they are, trying to help them get back to where they want to be. But if they're challenging, sort of destigmatizing many concerns, if I, if I break my arm, you know, playing basketball, I'm going to the doctor right away. But if I'm struggling, you know, socially or emotionally or something, somehow there's a little more reticence to, to go get some help there. And I think just listening, paying attention, um, giving ourselves some grace that we don't have to have all the answers and we're, we're going to hard stuff too. But if, you know, our kids, ourselves, our family need some help to, to work through some issues, that, um, that's the best thing we can do that, that there's tremendous strength in that vulnerability and not to be ashamed or not to feel that you can't, um, seek some help. If that's, if that would be helpful. That's great, there. great advice. Uh, I want to dig in on taking students and then putting them in the workforce eventually. I mean, I think that's the end goal for a lot of students is you want to learn whether it's a skill or you just want to become educated and then you're able to hold down a job later in life and, and support yourself. Um, how can we better prepare students so that when they step into that workforce, it's not culture shock or it's not, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed by this. They're really prepared to step into that role that they're going to have. Yeah. I'm just a big believer, you know, whether it's job shadowing or career days or internships that we just have to expose young people. And first of all, you can't even aspire to do things that you've never seen before. It's not part of your reality. So, you know, you may love something that you don't even know exists. So how do we give kids um, yes, in high school, but I would say even earlier in middle school, a chance to to talk to professionals from a wide variety of different different fields, different interests, and see what makes sense. And then potentially, if they're interested, you'll have some summer internships or after school opportunities to, to bridge that divide. Because I think to your point, if if you don't know that world, if maybe your family doesn't come from that world, well, culture shock is going to be the norm, not the exception. That's a huge leap. But if it's something that you've experienced, you know, got some taste of in, in middle school and, you know, high school, you maybe did some stuff and then in college, you had some solid jobs. Then that's, that's a much less scary leap. That's like a natural progression. And so just exposure, exposure, exposure. And again, to a wide variety, for me, it's never about stated kid, you know, your college material, ah, you need to do this. It's kind of we provide them with, you know, four, five, six, seven great options and let them follow their their heart, let them get in. I think everyone has a genius. Everyone has a passion. Let them figure that out. 
And the final thing I'll say, I think we often, again, have this dichotomy, you know, work versus school or whatever, jobs versus school. And as I said earlier, all of us have to be lifelong learners. All of us got to be working and learning the rest of our lives. So that, that world is, is, is blended, it's blurred. And I think we've had historically these very different tracks. We want all of our people to be working the rest of their lives and want them all to be learning the rest of their lives. And they'll, they'll be a different dosages of those two things. So maybe part-time, sometimes, sometimes, full-time, sometimes. But they have to be engaged on both sides of that equation forever. And you can just build it up. That's not so much a, a knowledge thing. That's not learning something. It's really a habit. And how do we build those habits, uh, those characteristics um, that will help young people not just go into the world, the world of work, but help them for the, the 40 or 50 years that they'll be engaged in the workforce. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Open Sesame helps companies develop the world's most productive and admired workforces. How? By having the most comprehensive catalog of e-learning courses from the world's top publishers, publishers like TED and Harvard, and having courses that cover learning topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, safety and compliance, and wellness. Try a course for free today by visiting opensesame.com backslash course of the week. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. Artie, speaking of improving habits, how can companies best implement authentic DE&I practices? This has become a huge buzzword in the last couple of years, and a lot of organizations are saying that they're doing it. But then you go back and keep score and they're not really doing it, even though they're saying they're publicly doing it. How can companies authentically improve their DE&I practices? Yeah, it's a great question. Such a critically important question now. And I, I think it's, it's basically, I think you almost answered the question in your question that it's, we have to hold ourselves accountable, not just for good words or, or, or you know, pithy statements but for results, for, for outcomes. And for me, there's identical to education. Yes, we need to know where we are. What's the, you know, what's the baseline? Where are we and where are we trying to go? And are we making real progress to get there? And if we're not, then our, our words are our cheap <laughs> interactions um, sort of reveal you know, how serious we are or not. And this is one where again, there's no real competition. We can all learn from each other. We can try and get better. We can all work on it. But um, it's got to be a sincere, a sincere commitment. And I'll just say, um, whether it's a, you know, an HR role or a newly created role in, in a you know, major, major organization, whatever, major company, um, sometimes I worry that if that happens, I get the importance of that role, but I worry that it gets marginalized. It's only that person's job to solve up. A culture, a company of a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand people, and that's that's a little hard to penetrate. So I think it's got to be led by the CEO. It's got to be led by boards of directors, and just as you know, folks are transparent around you know quarterly earnings or whatever, whatever the other metrics might be that folks are looking at, sales, marketing. Uh, this has to be you know front and center. And I always want to be clear that for me, this can't be just because it's like politically correct or important now. Um, what I truly believe, and there's lots of you know very good academic research that when you have more diverse boards, when you had more diverse management teams, when you have more women and more folks of color in leadership, your performance gets better. So for me, this is like the perfect intersection of, yes, altruism, but also self-interest. 
and you're not compromising talent, you're not compromising values, you're not, you know, compromising out, you know, outcomes or competitiveness, you're actually enhancing all of that. I think that's the mindset, that's the mentality that, that uh, still has to change. You played college basketball at Harvard. You played pro ball in Australia. You're six foot five. You played basketball with uh, President Obama. How important is, you know, we talked about socialization for kids earlier. A lot of people think getting your body moving and, you know, learning camaraderie of being on a team. Maybe you can speak to that side of your experience and, and your work that you're doing in that area as well. Yeah, well, well for me, that was just absolutely formative. I always say I was fortunate to go to some amazing, you know, high schools and college and amazing teachers, but my best classroom was always the basketball court. We just growing up, you know, playing all over in the inner city and south and west sides and sort of cliches, but they're really true that I think basketball both builds and develops your character. And whether it's you know, hard work or resilience or how to handle failure, how to handle pressure how to be a good teammate, um, all those things. There's no better place to learn that than been on a, on a basketball court and whatever success I've been able to have personally and professionally. Yes, my academic training, education is absolutely key, but I promise you that the, the leadership and some of the things I've been able to do, I could never have done if I didn't have that chance to, to, give, to be part of teams and to learn how to Sometimes you're the star of the team and sometimes I've literally been the water boy and learned that you know, every role is important. You just try and figure out how you contribute and, and play at those different levels. And again, personally, I, I, I need to sweat. I need to move during the pandemic. I hate running. We had a bunch of ball play. We went out and ran on a football field every morning, religiously. I hated every bit of it, but that was important. And now we're lucky enough to be back in the gym and we're in the gym every morning, seven fifteen. You know, shooting, playing, work up a sweat, and that that camaraderie being part of that um, uh, work I do now is, is really stressful, and, it, and it, it keeps me going. And so I can't overstate how important it was you know, growing up. But quite honestly, you know, every day, including today, um, how important it still is to me to to have those kinds of opportunities. Yeah, I totally agree. I'll end with this. Um, I've interviewed a few people on this show, and. They've talked about almost uh, treating their current employees as new employees coming out of this pandemic, almost like a whole new onboarding process because we're kind of living in this new world. What are your thoughts there for companies? If I'm a CEO listening to this right now and I'm trying to figure out how do we come out of this, what's your advice? Yeah, it, it's so, I mean, we're all thinking about this. We're all struggling with it. Obviously, we hire very, very small, you know, non-profit. We hired a set of folks who are the pandemic who worked for us for six, eight months. Who I never met. It's just crazy. It's like an inconceivable notion. And think about a major company, what those numbers might be. But it, it is a chance to start fresh. And there's some things that every company has, I'm sure, done extraordinarily well in terms of onboarding and training and professional development. But I think there's lots, obviously lots of things that people could do better. And for me, it's like, we're back to ground zero. And so just being really honest about how you sort of build a culture to reflect some of those, those values that you talked about earlier was being a good teammate or whether it's around diversity. Um, how do you make sure you're listening to your employees? How do you make sure you're fighting organizations? How are you taking care of their or being attuned to their social and emotional health and what they're dealing with personally, what their family members might be dealing with? It, it's, it was, again, beyond a challenging you know, 12 to 18 months. And so I think it's a chance to, um, to let your employees know how much you care 
Um, I think it's a chance to do that with both real urgency, but also tremendous humility. Um, it's a chance to really listen. It's a chance to get feedback. This is what's working. This is what's not. This is what I'm looking for. And if you can come out of this together, I think what people are looking for more than anything now, they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for someone they can trust. They're not looking for someone who knows every answer. It has to be a smart guy in the room all the time. And the more we can lead in these areas more from the heart, honestly, more so than from the head, um, I think that's the way to, to inspire, to motivate, to have people know that you believe in them, you would be with them through good times and bad. Arnie Duncan, former U.S. Secretary of Education under President Obama, managing partner with the Emerson Collective. Learn more about Arnie and the Emerson Collective at emersoncollective.com. Arnie, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, continued success to you and uh, stay healthy and safe. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Have a great day, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Learning Unlocked, presented by Open Sesame. Download this and every episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learning Unlocked is produced by Griggs Productions.